And welcome to our Jackson home. Uh, I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. I'm here with Julian Williamson, and he is the uh, the owner of Blue Bluesland Films. Welcome to the podcast, Julian. Thanks for inviting me. So it's an honor to be here. Well, I want to tell everybody the moment that I knew I needed to have Julian on a podcast. I, I used to work with a restaurant that sponsored the uh, Union Variety Show. And um, we were sitting backstage waiting to run on and shoot tennis balls into the crowd because I get to do fun stuff like that as a marketing guy. And Julian's in front of this TV and it's got like four displays going on it. And I said, Julian, what's on a scale of one to ten, like how hard is this? And you're like, a zero. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And then he shows me his bag and he's got this NCAA Final Four tag on his luggage. And I was like, okay, this guy clearly is playing at another level and we need to have him on the podcast to talk to him. So thank you for making time to be with us today. I'm glad to be here. It's uh, it's fun to sit and talk about uh, work stuff and uh, what's going on. Well, before we jump into the work stuff, let's, let's introduce... Because you have an interesting job, most people will never know that that this that you walking down the street that you work with all these big productions and stuff so how would someone in, in jackson how might they know you well people uh in jackson might know me from from union um as a student and then i was an employee at union for a while but um the things that i do in jackson that p- folks would know me for would be like um some of the bigger local shows I usually end up involved in. So okay. um, I'm the technical director for the Miss Tennessee pageant, which means okay. I, I punch up the cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, produce uh, the uh, Union University Scholarship Banquet. So uh, Chris Bennett and I have switched that off uh, back and forth, but uh, one of us is uh, the production person. That mm-hmm. This time the cycle happens to be with me. So. Yeah. Uh, so basically, that means coordinating all of the sound, video, lighting, and and production elements, so that they all work as a seamless sort of thing. Um, uh, that's going to be my guess for what okay. for how people would know yeah. me here. Well, what about um, your? I know you're very involved in your church, right? Uh, I've I've been a long term member of uh, Christ Community Church. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. And you have a family, uh, right? Uh, well, yeah. So. Th- that would uh, um, that would be another way of looking at it. Um, my uh, people know my wife, who has long blonde hair more than I do. Sheila, uh, she's probably the outgoing part of the family. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then I've got two sons, Macklin, who's twenty, and Aaron, uh, seventeen. Macklin attends Union; he's a biology major, and Aaron attends um, Madison. And so uh, we've we've had our family here for many years. And so one of the things about Jackson that's great is it's a fantastic place to raise a family. There's plenty of stuff to do, nice folks around, good church environment, that sort of thing. Yeah. So you, um, where are you, where are you from originally? I grew up on a cattle farm between here and uh, here in Memphis, okay. near, uh, on the other side of Brownsville. If you know where Stanton is, or you know where Bozos is in Mason, Bozos, right, Bozos Barbecue. Okay, okay. Uh, Bozos Barbecue, uh, right around there, within within five minutes of there. Okay, so, gotcha. And then you came to go to Union. I did. Um, I uh, uh, graduated high school from Rosemark Academy, 
and then started at Union in 1985, and then I attended there till 89. I was a communication major. Okay. And then you went on, I saw in your notes that you went on to the U of M. Right. Uh, so right out, of, right out of college, I did pro audio production work. I worked for a company called Tennessee Concert Sound, and, um, and I, I, my mentor um, happened to be Paul McCartney's monitor engineer. So uh, it was a, sort of a nice uh, jump yeah. into deep water, and I learned a lot about production there and uh, through Bernie, uh, who was who was who I'm talking about. And uh, then, I, you know, I started feeling like um, I wanted to do more video-wise. Mm-hmm. A position opened up at Union. I worked for Union for a little while. And then over time, I, I thought I wanted to further my education. So I went to University of Memphis. Once again, a communication major. I got a master's uh, with an emphasis in film. Okay. Well, uh, any hobbies that we should know about? Oh, yeah. I've got hobbies. Uh, I like to hike, uh, backpack, and... um, and uh, I like to, I have a motorcycle, so I like to ride a motorcycle. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> I do too. Uh, that's funny. What do you got? I've got a, a Valkyrie Interstate. Cool. Um, what last production year they made those about you? I have a Triumph Bonneville. I oh, have, um, okay. I have a, a fairly new one, and I also have two uh, vintage Bonnevilles from the late 60s. Wow. Not Bonnevilles, Triumphs. Uh, I love Triumphs. They're uh, really so, cool bikes. So that's one uh, in my spare time, I try and keep the old ones running, but the, but the new one I like to ride a lot. And then, uh, and you showed me recently, you, uh, you and a group of friends published some poetry? Right, we did. Um, so that... Um, that's both a hobby and and also a way to deal with uh, with life, I guess. Mm. Um, it's a creative outlet. Yeah. Um, so yes. Um, so my, even creative people who work in the creative industry have to have creative outlets. Okay. All right. So here's here's <laughs> yes. Here's the secret. You when you work for me, not everybody's like this, but I almost consider my my creative work that I do for a living a craft. Mm. Um, I. Um, it's it is what it is i mean you it's either you're doing something for sports or for an event or for a speaker or something like that and it's your the creative part is doing the best job you can with it but if but if you want to go out past that you have to sort of find something that you originated yourself you see, you see what i'm saying yeah. sort of your artistic uh, output so yes my work is creative but then i feel the need to to want to do something a little beyond that so you, that you set that, the boundaries on. right that i set the boundaries on so uh my my friend and i ross guthrie who is um uh, who is a deacon at uh, all saints anglican church mm-hmm. now uh did a book of poetry 30 poems about easter each okay. of us wrote 30 um and uh and we had uh ryan flaster and his lovely wife bound it for us uh hardcover uh, in their home and so basically that's that's one of the big creative things we've done over the last year and when we close the show i'm going to ask you to read us a piece okay okay all right and uh and all right well we're going to head into our first break julian and then i want to come back and i'd love for us to hear more about um how you've gotten to where you are in your career because it's just something that very few people get to witness and experience so so from our front porch to yours this is our jackson home Welcome back to our Jackson home. I'm here with uh, 
Julian Williamson. He's the owner of Blue, Bluesland Films, and uh, he does all sorts of neat stuff. And so, uh, Julian, you've had a really unique career, I, I think. From and I'm in the creative marketing, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff world. But you've had a, a from be, especially being in Jackson and li living in Jackson. Yeah. Um, you've worked for some really large companies. So why don't you walk us through kind of how that career, how that, you left, you left University of Memphis with a focus in, in film, in film mm -hmm. and so you started adding video in. Why don't you t tell us about that? Okay, well, um, really it was about, um, y you know, uh, while I was working at Union, I was sort of their, their technical person, and it... I began to feel like I wanted to to um, to work a little harder at um, at transitioning into doing some more challenging work. So um, one of the things that I did at the last part of my um, of of my master's degree, I had, I had a thesis project, and the thesis project was uh, was an independent film. So. I did a, a short uh, documentary on the Hatchie River, which is a place I spent a lot of time as a kid. I've heard there's lots of dead bodies in the Hatchie Bottom. Is that, <laughs> is that true? I've never seen one. Okay, okay. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Uh, it could be a pretty scary place. So uh, I did this documentary, and which, uh, and I did it on film. So mm -hmm. I kind of got caught a good uh, a good time to do film because. In the early days of HD, um, film was the best way to originate. There mm -hmm. weren't any really good HD cameras out there. So, um, so right when I decided to leave Union, which was the late 90s, I began to pick up some freelance gigs as an editor at, um, in Nashville. And then those freelance gigs sort of led other folks to... Um, to you know, to me to find some new contacts, mm -hmm. make some mm -hmm. uh, some some contacts with folks who were actually needing shooters worse than editors, and I, I found out over time that I'm too impatient to spend eight hours a day at a desk working on a computer. I need to be up and moving, yeah. and so shooting sort of gave me the opportunity to do that. And so I worked for a studio in Nash in Nashville called PK Pictures. And I kind of got on with them because of some of my independent film work. Uh, mm -hmm. They were interested in doing some film, called and asked questions, and I started doing more work for them. And I probably spent about 10 good years um, shooting stuff around the world for them. Their specialty was um, e extremely high-resolution stuff. A lot of times it was stretched extremely wide. And um, so we worked out some, some ways to do that. And... Uh, and that led me into most of the corporate work. And then the corporate work came because of some contacts with folks that I made while I was out, um, while I was out doing the work for other production agencies. So uh, some of the folks that I, I, I've worked for, I've worked on uh, Mazda's vehicle rollouts for a while. Um, I, uh, when, um, Land Rover and Jaguar combined. Mm -hmm. They did uh, a presentation on the side of a mountain in Denver, and uh, I interviewed their CEO and and did some stuff with him for that presentation. So oh, no. most of my most of my contacts with with large corporate things uh -huh. came about that way. Um, one of the funnest ones, two of the funnest ones I did were for computer people. Um, for IBM, I went to. Uh, uh, 
took a trip around the world in three weeks and shot um, basically uh, material for their corporate meetings around the world, which involved, uh, I, I was in uh, in the venue where Kofi Annan was speaking, mm. and so we did, we did some stuff with him, we did some stuff with... Um, Alastair Fothergill, who was the 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 um, producer for Planet Earth, so wow. um, okay. you know he he did a lot of pioneering nature HD work, and we were basically there to make sure that his that his work and his presentation worked for you know for the for the corporate yeah uh, world. So then we I did that, and then I worked for EDS Hewlett Packard some, and that led to some more contacts because I basically. Shooting for somebody is there's a huge trust factor. So yeah. the you know the thing I learned in Nashville is that music people like to look good and they like for all your stuff to be prepared and ready to go so that they can walk in they don't waste much of their time. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing I learned is that CEOs of large corporations are the same way. They like to look good and they like they don't want to waste time. So um, so I spent a, a good deal of effort you know, prepackaging kits and things that would, would, and arranging things so that, that you know, the images would come out good. Yeah. Um, and then um, that sort of led to some folks from the broadcast industry. We had mutual contacts calling me up. And so I did interviews for ESPN for a while, I did hockey, I did uh, some of the pre-Olympics uh, interviews back, uh, back, um, before the last Summer Olympics, whenever that was. Four years ago. Right. It's been a while ago when I did those. And then... Well, the, it's because of the Summer Olympics. Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then I guess that what happened from there is, again, mutual contact. It's all about contacts. Advertising doesn't really work well for me. Yeah. And so that led into some more folks that were, uh, that were involved with CBS. So uh, I managed to fall in with a group that... Uh, out of Atlanta that were, was producing the pregame shows, the final four pregame shows mm-hmm. for Greg Gumbel. And then they needed somebody co- to coordinate studio-like shoots on location. Like, for instance, the first one we did was in Atlanta in the Coke Museum on the second floor. Mm-hmm. So they want a studio-type shoot on the second floor of a Coke Museum in Atlanta. And it has to be an extremely fast turnaround. Yeah. So, you know, the, the museum closes... We got to load in overnight, and then we had to match lighting levels to the what the exterior would be at 9 a.m. the next morning when we shot the show. And you know, I I, I make a habit of really pre-visualizing how things ought to go, yeah. planning the load in, and so basically um, I coordinated cameras, sound, lighting, all that sort of thing to make that happen. And it was one of those very very much a um, you know mission critical project. And yeah. so that's kind of I don't know whether I'm I'm rambling on too no, much. No, you're but, make, making sense to me. At but least. this is but those mission critical projects ended up being the most critical um, in term and the most profitable mm-hmm. because it's basically it's a lot of planning and this is what's enabled it to work in Jackson better over yeah. the last few years. A lot of planning builds up to three or four days on site. Yeah, and those three or four days on site are. Extremely intense, but all your planning hopefully goes through. So you, so you work like kind of really three or four days. I mean, not that you say you don't work up to that, but like so you kind of work part 
a little bit on the way up to it, and then it's like solid four days full time kind of. Right, I wouldn't say a little bit. It's kind of a lot in that, uh-huh. for instance, um, you know, um, we'll make we'll make call sheets. I had, I had you know I may have twenty people on a crew. Okay. So coordinating all those folks to get there at the right time. Yeah. Getting them fed, and then and then coordinating the arrival of of sound video and lighting equipment and staggered stages at the right spot so that you can get all this together at one time is the bulk of the work yeah. and so those are that's all the planning work but then on site you know you can do that in an eight hour day or you know and then some days are lighter than others on site then it's, it's really it's really a lot like the the last event i did uh, in the um in the Grand Ole Opry house, mm-hmm. there was a show, there was a Grand Ole Opry show the night before, and the very next day it had to be entirely different. So in essence, we did an entire load-in overnight, and then and then checks and rehearsals in the morning, and then the show, so no sleep during that time, basically, maybe a few hours. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I mean <laughs> it's just, that's insane. What, um, that's... And so here's the thing. No one in Jackson, you'd come across Julian Williamson at church or see him in the community. You would never know that you do all these things. Right. I, I, yeah, I should probably have a shirt that says, if anybody needs any of this sort of service, please call me. <laughs> because I, I, I usually I, it's hard to explain to people what I do. So yeah. it's nice to have this opportunity to talk a little longer because yeah. usually when I say, uh, you know, Usually when I say I do video work, they think, well, do you do weddings? Do you do yeah. uh, do you do ads? And it's really neither one of those things. No, yeah. You do a much higher level. You can a, send those people to me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Nothing wrong with any of that. It's yeah. just a different sort of thing. What I do is a funny story. When 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 Aaron, my younger son, was, was smaller and I was doing a lot more corporate work, um, you know, I, I would say – you know, I was uh, worked for businesses, uh, and I do video work, and a video thing is called a shoot. So, mm-hmm. so they would ask him. <laughs> they ask him in grammar school what his dad did for a living. He says he shoots businessmen. For a long time, they thought I was part of the mafia. And then I would talk to him. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what? So you were talking about last show in Nashville. Yeah. And you were. I saw on your sheet that you've done the K K Love Fan Awards. Right. Talk to me about that, because that seems like the. The pre-show is that—that's just like an hour's worth of TV, or—and is this show much lar- longer? I know it's probably longer. Yeah, and you got to think. So these are two different shows, and and ha- figuring out how to do each thing for for each separate show is another thing too. Mm-hmm. Like Final Four is is a is a show that's done on set with Greg Gumble and a guest, and it has pre-produced segments. So we shoot short. You know, in 15-minute segments mm-hmm. with scripted content. So basically, basically, we are shooting the studio wraparounds for pre-produced segments, and then all of a sudden, in the next two hours, all that gets edited together and put up on a, on a satellite, and then the station gets it. With K Love, um, it's basically a three and a half hour long show Sprint. with no breaks. It's time. like then we do a red carpet beforehand, but it's like any other. It's like any other sh- award show, like the CMAs or anything else. Um, a bunch of musical acts, a bunch of awards to give out, and y- a bunch of folks in the audience. So, and is that broadcasted live then? They, it's streamed live. Mm-hmm. K Love is is 
strategizing how to best use their content. So yeah. this is only this this coming year, which we're working on now, is only the third year I've been involved, they, and they've only done it one other year. Mm-hmm. So they've tried to go up each time. Kluf TV, Kluf started the Kluf radio stations, the Christian radio station started a thing called Kluf TV. And so we streamed it live as a teaser for folks to uh, to get involved with KLF TV yeah. last year. This year, I'm not exactly sure what the outlet is. It hasn't been, uh, hasn't I haven't been told yet. Basically. Does that does that change your preparation a whole lot? Or is no, that... it's pretty much the same. I mean, basically, I'm delivering a signal either to um, either to a satellite um, or to uh, in a hardwired ISDN hookup. Not not ISDN, but uh, you know, the hardwired internet connection, whatever you want to call it. So one of the things that's always fascinating me about live productions is whose job is it if someone goes off the deep end? Who, like, is there a person whose job is to be the censor? <laughs> like a Janet yeah. Jackson Super Bowl type thing? Um, is there someone whose job is to cut you, that cord? You know, it's a... It is a nerve-wracking bit. <laughs> there are a few sensors. Um, my tolerance is probably lower than my than the folks above me. So, so I mean, really, I'm sitting in the chair that says either cut it or keep it um, at during the live broadcast. But the executive producers who who pay us all yeah if they say cut it yeah. then i'm gonna yeah. cut it you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so like i'll sit back uh, someone else directs usually so that pretty much goes and it flows on without my constant you know but if i say if, if i notice for instance i'm looking out and say well we've got enough of that i'll say something like hey let, let's move on to something else yeah. but on a show like Caleb, it's mainly determined by the show producer who's mm-hmm. responsible to keep his end going but then I have—I mean, I've been known to get on and in the headsets and say, "Oh, this is dragging. Can we? Yeah, yeah can we Cut tell Flash and wrap it up?" You know? Yeah. Well, Julian, we're going to head into our second break, and we'll come back and talk okay. a little bit more about your work and your life. Um, so, sitting between the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers, this is R. Jackson. films and so Julian over your career arc that we were just talking about it seems like you've moved more from moved kind of away from the making and the doing and you're now kind of in the management uh, putting other people in the right place to right. do things that how do you feel about that <laughs> well that you know that's that's hard uh, I am a hands-on sort of person and letting go of some aspects of craft is hard mm-hmm. um, I, I really enjoyed my my time as a director of photography because there's the gratification of lighting uh, a scene or a shot quickly and well and being proud of the results. And I and I guess moving into managerial roles, you you're still proud of the results. You just feel a little more disconnected. Yeah. I mean, I still. I'm going to throw on a pair of headphones and make sure everything sounds right. I'm, of course, going to look at a monitor and say, this looks good, and if I, if I don't like it, I offer suggestions. But really, now, it's more of 
coordinating talented people to put in in that I know I can depend on to put in the areas that um, that they'll fulfill well, yeah. and then and then handling the new thing, which is handling budgets and billing and all of the logistics of getting a crew together that only exist as as a composite for say. 12 hours yeah you know and and they have and they to can be, be from people, all over the they world. can be from all over the country all over the world even and then but ideally they know each other and there's that there's that groove that happens between them that that makes them work together and produce a good product so to me it's a new thing i'm marketing to a new bunch of folks i'm learning to find new clients i'm uh, you know i'm i'm trying out ways to for people to understand how the budgeting works. Mm-hmm. So, but it's been a move because I knew that, well, uh, as a DP, you've only a director of photography, you, you know, probably at some point about my age, you need to look for ways to, to expand what you can do. You know, you know more about production than just your little niche. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good time to move, uh, move on into a role that is a coordinating role more. Yeah. Um, what what is the hardest part about doing this for a live event? To do this coordinating, like, is there a specific role in the team that's the hardest, or what do you find the most difficult about putting this production a production like this together? Well, um, the hardest thing for a live event is is the the process of of deciding on paper if what the live event is going to look like and and expending a tremendous amount of effort pre-visualizing what it can be in all of the particular aspects that are needed to make it work together because you only have one shot the live event only happens once i call it a mission critical event mm-hmm. and the mission critical events for those of you who, who may be interested in doing video work the ones that pay the most money are usually the mission critical events. Either it's mission critical because it only happens once, or it's mission critical because you you are dealing with a person who <laughs> whose whose day rate is so far beyond yours. <laughs> a CEO of a company is making you know a load of, of money. Yeah. I, I, I shot a billionaire once, yeah. uh, a bunch of green screen stuff, and the billionaire's handler came into me and says, "You got." I had I had seven or eight setups, and the billionaire's handler said, "You have." I had to do seven setups. He says, "You have them for an hour and fifteen minutes," and and it was a pretty complicated shoot. So I ended up having to hire and set up lighting and separate cameras for each one. It was, it was green screen with some uh-huh. foreground elements and just walking from one to the other. So at any rate, mission critical events, making sure that everything is there, mm-hmm. every component. Like uh, once, a, I would say logistically that um, in terms of things that I personally have charge of, Caleb is one of the comp- most complicated events because 19 full bands with a bunch of instruments, just the audio. Yeah. is a nightmare to over 200 channels of audio you know and then uh, all the all of it has to be recorded there has to be uh, a two-track mix to be broadcast and recorded as a scratch track the post-production work has to be done on all the music it has to be it has to be sweetened 
for the final uh, for the final piece. In other words, mixed down in the studio later. Uh, it has to be finalized. But then all, there's also camera positioning. Like folks will call me months ahead and say, "Okay, how many seats are you taking up for jib arms, for Steadicam, for camera positions?" Because we've got to, we want to sell as many seats as we can. So basically, the the hard thing about doing one of those is just all of the pre-production work, thinking through it, what the show's gonna look like, how tight it needs to be, and then all the gear that needs to be there to, to make it work, whether it's, it's things as insignificant as as HDMI to HDSDI converters. Yeah. Uh, how many of those do you need? And, and carrying a whole lot more than you think you do. Yeah, that's, um, that's another world. <laughs> so, so Julian and, I, I've kind of prepped you for this before we came in here, but you clearly, from my perspective, your life would be easier if you lived within 15 minutes of an airport. <laughs> yeah. So, so why have you, why have you guys stayed in Jackson? Why have we stayed in Jackson? Um, we're here because we made a very close group of friends here. Mm. And um, and we have bailed each other out of each other's difficult masses mm. so much that we just didn't want to leave. And, and yeah. a good amount of the time we've gone to the same church. At times we've gone to different churches. But that's, it's, that's made a big difference. Um, anytime you're in, you're in a freelance role or you're in a, you know, sort of a non-traditional you know, sort of money-making venture. There's there's low and high times, and yeah. then and then I, I think a, a bunch of us have come together and been able to support one another through that, and that's the reason we're here. Um, it's um, yes, it would be easier to do production in a, in a big city, but and then I guess the other thing I need to say is our kids have grown to great schools, um, and being able to get a good education in a great environment um, is, is, is worth a lot. Uh, yeah. I had someone tell me once that, that the most expensive thing in the world is a poor education. Mm. And I want, my, I, want, I want my sons to have the best that they can get. And then and raising them with a bunch of folks that feel like we do about, about life, about church, about whatever, and it's been invaluable, I think. We can't, uh, and I guess the other thing too is, I, I was raised here, mm-hmm. and there is something that draws me here. Mm-hmm. I've tried to leave before, yeah. but um, but something something continues to draw me back artistically, and then uh, also the the farm that I grew up on, I manage now. Oh. And it's uh, somehow that didn't come up in your career sorry. path story. Well, also I, a farmer. <laughs> that was. Well, I don't farm actually. Somebody else farms for me. I just happened to inherit it, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I want to keep an eye on that too. Yeah. Well, Julian, I'd love for you to close <laughs> us out by reading us uh, one of the thirty poems that you cranked out for the, this this collaboration with Ross Guthrie. Um, what's it? What's it called? Thirty by Easter. So um, you should see some of them on sale at the pop-up shops coming okay. up. Uh, also, um, and so we're selling the book for 25 each. If you're wondering why, 
a book of 60 poems is $25. <laughs> uh, just remember that it was hand-bound by Ryan and Elizabeth Flaster. And, uh, and it, it took a while. So anyway, okay, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share a poem. Uh, it's cold outside. We just got do it, done with a big snowstorm. So uh, this is um, a poem I wrote about a year ago. Uh, it's sort of a, a poem for winter called The Somber Season. It is the time of clear and bitter cold when shadow souls of trees descend to wander empty fields. It is the time for Rattray's flake and the black barling pipe whose cauldron bowls dense smoke curls slow as strapped molasses. It is the time when time breaks faith, mires us in this somber season, when earth's green good stays hidden and the rivers turn to ice. That was awesome. And what was that called again? The Somber Season. The Somber Season. Well, Julian, thank you for sharing that, and thank you for helping to make Jackson a better place and choosing to call it home. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Kevin. And you are listening to the R. Jackson Home Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a rating. And if you have an idea for a show or an article for our Jackson Home, let us know on the website. Today's podcast was recorded and hosted by Kevin Adelsberger. Our theme music was performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at The Co. To find out more about The Co., visit their website at www.atthecoe.com. And to find out more about our Jackson Home and to read about how amazing Jackson is, visit rjacksonhome.com. Dot com.